Hey, what up? This is Zach Guilford from Midnight Mass, and you're listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Pop Culture Pastor. Pop Culture Pastor. So, Cody, um, I wanted to start the episode by playing Taps. Okay. For The Rock. <laughs> I wanted to play Taps for The Rock, because uh, the news of the day was that the, uh, the Rock's out. Gone, but not forgotten. <laughs> But probably forgotten. Um, Mostly forgotten. Yeah. Is any like look? He's not completely out. Oh yeah, he's out. His production company's still in. If they ever bring back that character, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't count on it. I think James Gunn is very political. The way he talks, like first of all, we did we talk a little bit about that James Gunn should stop talking. No, we haven't. At least not on air, but we have talked. Listen, the list of people that should stop talking is about, um, well, it's hugely long, but the top three are The Rock, who I think has stopped. James Gunn is number two, and James Cameron is number Uh, one. James Cameron is in the lead by a long (laughs) shot. It's like, why won't he stop? He keeps talking. Literally, as a pastor, as a Christian, I am I'm called to love, but yeah. yet every time he opens his mouth, all I think is hateful thoughts, rage. <laughs> don't don't feed into the system of anti shalom. Don't feed it. I'm trying not to, but I mean, literally, you wrote Titanic. All you had to say was there wasn't enough room for him. Yeah. What was the was the that an episode of Community? The Oh Honey episode? No, that was the How I Met Your Mother. And that's what I think when I see that James Cameron, it's a new day and he has said something else. And I'm just like, oh, honey, oh, <laughs> I, keep, I keep thinking, give me the shovel so that you quit digging this hole deeper. Oh, uh, and then, you know, I, I hadn't planned on talking about Avatar. It seemed pretty split when we asked uh, if, does anybody want us to review Avatar? And it seemed pretty split. Um, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. So we'll probably have some sort of mini review at least. Cause yeah. you're, you have to see it. I do. Nobody in my house is interested. Um, so one of my friends, um, that I'm very close with, he watched it and his review was interesting. Um, uh, in the fact that basically Mr. Cameron trades one group of people for another group of people for who the blue people will represent. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm now intrigued on that aspect. So then I can compare it to something else besides Pocahontas or dances with wolves. James Cameron is like, he's like a great, um, like, I don't even know him. This is why I feel, I feel bad at what I'm about to say. Cause I don't really know this. I'm just basing it on this like version of a story he's putting out that he says is like an allegory. He's the one who said it. He said the Navi in the first one represented the Sioux, the Sioux Indian. Okay. Oh, take that back. And, and James Cameron is like one of these people who like thinks he knows history, but doesn't really know history. But yes. there's a lot of people out there like that. So there's the people that like believe the really raw, raw, patriotic, fake America version of history, which is the one we were mostly taught in the old days up until, you know, however many years ago. And then there's the version that James Cameron believes where like it's still white and black 
you know, it's still, there's no gray area. It's still good, bad. And it's, we just switched it around to like, well, the white people are all the bad people. And you know what I'm saying? Like, that's still not quite real history because real history involves real humans who are nuanced. (laughs) Yeah. It's complex. It's not that easy. It's not that simple. So yeah. Anyways, it is what it is, but I will have more information next podcast. Yeah. All right. Cause God willing, assuming the Arctic blast doesn't freeze us at home. Yeah. I will be watching it. Yeah. Well, we're all looking forward to that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is, the Pop Culture Pastor Podcast. Started off with a lot of more angry rhetoric. <laughs> did it? I feel are, it did. Are we angry? I am. <laughs> James Cameron's really got you twisted. He's really All got you. the Camerons do. He's <laughs> Kirk, <laughs> Candace, and James. There's nothing but Cameron slander going on on this episode. <laughs> All the camera and slander. I need the Elmo gif with the fire. Yes. Yeah. Uh, speaking about gifts with fire. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Donald Glover. Yeah. Because we don't talk about Donald Glover enough. Love me some Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Donald Glover. A.k.a. Troy from Community. Yeah. Uh, my Side note, my wife saw a mug that said Troy and Abed in the morning. And I was like, ooh, I don't even drink coffee, and I want that mug. Um, that would be my new hot cocoa mug. Yeah. Yeah. Dave and Cody on the podcast. Does that Ow. Work? <laughs> uh, anyways, we should talk about Donald Glover. Uh, he's, uh, he's well, he's finally going to get a Spider-Man movie. About time. Uh, but not so fast. Don't get... Don't get super hyped because like, so he appeared in the first, uh, uh, the Spider-Man homecoming, the first MCU Spider-Man mm-hmm. as the cousin of Miles Morales, right? That was the whole, yeah, the whole conceit, like just by name only, he identifies himself as a name that it was kind of like an Easter egg. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's not going to be that character. He is attached to star in and produce a feature set in Sony Pictures Spider Universe of Marvel characters. This is uh, the Hollywood Reporter. Um, and you might be wondering, well, what character is that, Dave? <laughs> Surely it is better than the character that Bad Bunny is playing. <laughs> I don't know, man. Created by Bill Mantlo, the writer who also created Rocket Raccoon. Oh. Uh, this character's name is the hypno hustler, very much a product of the disco, uh, scene when he first appeared in Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man number 24 in 1978, his real name was Antoine Delson, the leader of a band called the mercy killers. And he used hypnosis technology in his instruments on his audience in order to rob them. (laughs) I am here for this. The hypno hustler. Now listen. I'm a fan of anything with alliteration. If you said any other name but Donald Glover, I'd be like, this is ridiculous trash. Do not make this. But you said Donald Glover, and I firmly believe he's a genius. Mm-hmm. Atlanta's and good. I have to believe that he's got something in mind for this that's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, 
there's a really good chance that since Spider-Man will be a local Spider-Man, mm-hmm. maybe we have some local villains. Yeah. Well, making their scene. This the Hypno Hustler, as you might imagine, is not one of Spider-Man's most loved uh, villains in this villains gallery, his rogues gallery. You know, um, I thought he was up there with Venom. <laughs> it's one that they usually make fun of. That, like, when we bring up the Hypno Hustler, they make fun of him. But uh, sources say that Glover was really keen to the idea of the musical part of the character musical genius. And he has less of the Marvel canon baggage since he's not a recurring character for the most part. Uh, and that frees up a broader interpretation, which like, here's the thing we make fun of the bad bunny thing where mm-hmm. he's playing like some villain wrestler, pro wrestler. Like to be honest, if I'm Sony, I'm getting as far away from Spider-Man while in the Spider-Man universe as I can, because I think those are the movies that can be successful, just kind of lightly attached. You know what I'm saying? Um, Yeah. So I'll use the example of um, the new Suicide Squad. You got rid of a lot of the familiar faces, except for Harley Quinn. Uh, but then out of the blue, you make Peacemaker a focal point and mm. ha- let Peacemaker have a series. And it might be the most popular series on HBO Max this past year. So, yeah, Peacemaker is a great example because he's kind of a jokey character. Oh, yeah. And because he's not tied to like any of the major DC characters, you can do more with him. And and people don't care as canon much. They just want to be entertained. And so I think, like, in that regard, the Hypno Hustler, hustler or El Arachno, or whatever the Bad Bunny movie is, that can actually, I think, work. Which I have seen Bad Bunny wrestle. Yeah. He does a good job. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, way better than David Arquette. Burn! <laughs> Most people like you just referenced <laughs> WCW in the late nineties. And like most people wouldn't even get that reference. That's okay. Who's David Arquette? That guy <laughs> from scream that's married or was married to Courtney Cox Arquette. They say the project could be anything from a disco period piece to a reimagined modern hip hop version, or even a cyberpunk future, man. I think you reimagine it and go modern hip hop with, um, with Donald. I think that would be amazing. I think you could do all three of those options. Yeah. Well, if you go disco, you go like really goofy fun. I think that could be like a really funny movie. And maybe even have some like shaft vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be, I think that could, I'm cautiously optimistic. Although because it's like they said, it's far attached from the Spider-Man character. Like there's more room. Like it doesn't have to be like, so venom for me, I haven't watched venom because I'm so afraid that that's going to disappoint me because it's not attached to Spider-Man, his origin. Not at all in the movie, which it is in the comic. I'm, I'm so afraid I'm going to be disappointed that because to me as a comic book reader, he's so intertwined with Spider-Man. Whereas the hypno hustler, nah, man, knock yourself out. The <laughs> hypno hustler movie. I might enjoy that. So, Yeah, Um, it is interesting what does work and what doesn't work, because I'll 
go back to DC, I mean, that Joker movie? Yeah. That worked, even though Joker's really heavily intertwined with Batman. Mm-hmm. And you really don't get references of the bat. You get like some Easter egg images, but nothing really concrete. Yeah, and 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 I th- I think the difference between Venom and Joker is whereas Venom's origin is directly tied to Spider-Man. Uh Joker's origin, well, at least originally wasn't. Now, I know that they've done some funny storylines here and there, and I don't know if they've reimagined it yeah. a handful of times at least. That's the th- confusing part about DC is I'm not sure what's canon. Mhm. Like so I know that there's some weird storylines where Joker is maybe a little more intertwined with the Kent with the the Waynes. Yeah, um, and so yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Um let's go back to James Cameron. Jimmy Cameron. <laughs> I had to talk about this because uh this he just keeps Okay, well, like the as part of a sprawling interview, this is uh, on Yahoo. Yahoo reports it like this as part of a sprawling interview with deadline, which this is like, I think where James Cameron's at, he's saying such wild stuff. I think your best bet if you're interviewing him is just get him into some long interview set and just let him talk. Oh yeah. And then he's going to say something wild that you're going to be able to headline and, you know, make clickbait out of, cause he's just providing a lot of clickbait. Anyways, James Cameron explained his theory why audiences didn't uh, take to uh, the last Terminator movie in 2019. Dark Fate. Uh, it didn't make any money. Because we should have stopped at the end of two. Right. Yeah. Like, not because there were like three movies in there that nobody cared about. That were trash. Um, but instead, and, and you know, because he was involved in the making of it, he's got to defend it. And therefore push the blame off because he couldn't make something that wasn't that people didn't like. Uh, And he says, I think the problem, uh, this is a quote. I think the problem, and I'm going to wear this one is that I refuse to do it without Arnold director. Tim Miller didn't want Arnold, but I said, look, I don't want that. Arnold and I've been friends for 40 years and I could hear it. And it would go like this, Jim, I can't believe you're making a Terminator movie without me. It just didn't mean that much to me to do it, but I said, if you guys could see your way clear to bring Arnold back, and then, you know, I'd be happy to be involved. And then Tim wanted Linda. I think what happened is, is I think the movie could have survived having Linda in it. I think it could have survived having Arnold in it, but when you put Linda and Arnold in it, then, you know, she's 60-something, he's 70-something, all of a sudden it wasn't your Terminator movie. It wasn't even your dad's Terminator movie. It was your granddad's Terminator movie. Ageist? Did he just say Arnold Schwarzenegger was the reason the movie sucked? He's the reason that I'm 95% certain I watched that one. (laughs) I'm not 100% certain I have watched it, but I'm 95% certain I have watched this because my wife's like, there's a new Terminator, and I'm like, is Arnold in it? Yeah, like James, how can James Cameron be this off? Like if he's so smart, and, the, and from what I'm hearing him say the last month or so is he's really smart and I'm not as smart. Mm-hmm. He's smart. Everyone else isn't. How can he be so smart and not understand that it was only because Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton were, were in it that it made any money at all? Yeah. The problem, James, is people were done with Terminator. They're just done. And that movie at least made its money back. Like it pretty much broke even, which is. 
it's it's insane compared when you think of the two Terminator movies previously. Yeah. Like the fact that that movie made its money back was only due to Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton being in the movie. Um, so something that I feel that James is suffering from, um, is, well, it's kind of two part mm-hmm. for some reason. I, he, he has little man syndrome is how I'm going to word it. Okay. Cause like, this is James Cameron, maker of Terminator 1 and 2. James Cameron, the maker of Titanic. And you can list off probably five other movies that are all around great movies. And yet he's constantly having to bring up other people. Instead of just comparing his work to his own work, because his work is high up there. I mean... Why Spielberg's not throwing around other people. He's just talking about his movies. Like James Cameron keeps dragging in others to make himself feel better. And I feel he's stealing the playbook, not to get political, but stealing the Donald Trump playbook. Yeah. You mentioned that to me the other day and I thought about it a little bit and maybe you're right. Maybe he's he's it's it's some covert way of drumming up publicity as much publicity as he can, but but to me it's like if it's bad publicity, someone who's neutral on Avatar, that's not going to make him want to go see it. That he won't shut up, and like literally every day for the last week or two, you've sent me some article that of either James Cameron or James Gunn saying something, and I'm just like, why will these men not shut up? Gun, on the other hand, I feel his issue is he tries to do fan service, that he's trying to be a person or be a boss of the fan, where like DC was so separated from what the fans really wanted until like the Snyder cut happened. And even then they trashed it the whole time that it was being made and released that he's almost doing damage control. But while he is doing all this, I'm going to respond to every fan that's ever messaged me. Um, He, like, the things that he is sharing right now is creating a lot of backlash because, ah, everyone's basically gone from uh, the DCEU into the DCU. And although most of them, I felt, yeah, you could cut. Like, people really were ecstatic about Henry Cavill being back. Um, Honestly, I think the victim in all this is Zachary Levi. That if Shazam goes the way of the dodo bird like the rest of DC... It's gonna... It about has to. They literally like... Okay, so the weird part about all this is like you you secure Saffron and James Gunn and you say, okay, you guys are going to be the guys. Why not wait to announce that until after your slate of movies comes out? Like I can only think that it was because it was going so badly for Warner Brothers that maybe they felt like they had to announce something. But by doing that, I mentioned this in the last pod, you've made these movies lame ducks. 
Like who's who's going to care about these movies, especially Shazam 2, a Shazam 2 that they should have made with Black Adam, but instead, because of The Rock, made a Black Adam standalone movie. And now you're going to have two Shazam movies without his major main villain. Yeah. And and you're never going to see it now. You know why nobody cared about Black Adam? Because he's intertwined with Shazam. It is Dave's Spider-Man Venom <sighs> complex. It's so obnoxious. And, and they've made these movies like, I don't care about these movies now. I would have gone. I would have been excited to see Shazam too. I would have been excited to see the flash, even with all the problems they've had. So like I was really over the DC universe. Like I had said before gun and Saffron got hired that, um, just focus on making individual movies. I don't need the connectivity. And so now I know the connectivity's dead. And so I can just enjoy the movie for it being the movie. Yeah. And evidently rumor has that they've cut a lot of cameos from uh, these upcoming projects because ah, it doesn't need to happen. Yeah. And, and I feel really bad for Zachary Levi because, because we know Zachary Levi is a good guy mm-hmm. and he's got, he got the role of a lifetime in Shazam. He, he like had thus a, uh, uh, thus far in his career not had such a high profile role and now it's just going to get toasted because they're going to tear it all down which wasn't his fault because the first shazam movie was like one of the better movies one of the better dceu movies and now this movie's going to come out it doesn't even matter and then like uh, it's not the worst one though aquaman 2 is like who's going to see that Who's going to see a movie where not only does it not matter, but it matters so little that the actor who plays Aquaman is going to be a different character. <laughs> ah! I mean, again, I didn't think we needed Aquaman by himself ever. <laughs> that's, uh, that's how I felt on every episode. He shows up of the justice or of the, the, uh, what was the old DC cartoon? Uh, was it? super friends super no yeah i don't remember it was the old cartoon the hall of justice and all that i mean it had the justice league but i don't think that was the name of the cartoon in every episode that the aquaman with his orange jumpsuit would ride in on a dolphin and you're like (laughs) oh this guy (laughs) like nobody cared didn't care as a kid don't care now even when you make them all rough and tumble aquaman which they did like sometime in the nineties, I think to oh, kind of remade his image. So the second loser of this and it's a close second, all this Hodge. Yeah. Yeah. He was really good as Hawkman. I was, I was into that character. He's probably, he was probably the most, him and Dr. Fate were the most intriguing characters in the whole entire black Adam movie. <sighs> what well, could have been. Yep. Yeah, now you're and the justice society itself. That's a very intriguing team. As far as comic books go. Oh, yeah. I would have loved to see more of that fleshed out, but you're never going to get it now. Well, you'll get it maybe, but it's not with these people. But yeah. Can we can we just go back to the old cartoon for a minute? Yeah. Aquaman should have been chilling with the the Wonder Twins (laughs) off on some other adventure. I want to see the big guns. I don't care about the Wonder Twins and Aquaman. But uh, yeah, Uh, let's should we talk about Chet Hanks? Um, Chet's still around. 
We talked about Chet once before on the pod. Chet Hanks, the son of Tom Hanks uh, and Rita Wilson. And brother of Colin. Uh, Half brother. Half brother. Yeah. Yeah. Half brother of Colin Hanks. But yeah, still brothers. Uh, He was on a podcast, apparently, the Ivan Paychecks podcast. Can we get Chet? I don't know. I'm, what makes me sad about that is I've never heard of Ivan Paychecks, but I bet he has more listens than we do. <laughs> like, come on. We can't even beat a guy named Ivan Paychecks. Oh, someone's going to someone's going to comment on that and be like, Dave, Ivan Paychecks, the, the bomb. You guys need to check him out. Anyways, Chet Hanks was on the Ivan Paychecks podcast, and he said that his father, Tom and mother Rita sent him to a wilderness camp back in 2008 to help him deal with his addiction issues when he was still in high school. This is crazy. Like, listen to this. So he recounted the morning he woke up to find men surrounding his bed, preparing to escort him to this camp in Utah. He said they were all like military dudes quote. They look like bouncers, you know? And I'm like, what the bleep, what the bleep's going on? They're like, you're coming with us. We could do this the easy way or the hard way. (laughs) He's in high school and Tom and Rita had him sent off to wilderness camp. Okay. So my wife and I watched a movie that's kind of like this, Mm -hmm. that, so this guy goes on his bachelor party and he's addicted to substances and one by one, they start plucking off his friends. Oh wow. And then like he gets kidnapped, thrown in the back of a trunk, gets taken to like this remote uh site and is left there and then come to find out that oh, all the friends are still alive that uh they tricked him and they wanted to create a strong uh image in his brain oh wow and a strong response so that way it would help him overcome addiction once and for all hopefully and so oh interesting it was an interesting movie but kind of low quality. So. <laughs> okay. So like the first half of this, this podcast interview, I'm like kind of laughing at Chet Hanks, right? Um, he's talking about, so he's talking about how he lived without a roof over his head during the course of his stay at the camp for troubled teams. Also had to do manual labor. Uh, they cycle and they psychoanalyze me. They pick you apart. Um, and, and he was talking about how, like, he was there longer than anyone else for six whole months. <laughs> and Chet. I'm just like, like the first half of this, I'm just like, oh man, the whole, like, so sh- the whole spoiled, like rich kid, Hollywood kid was coming out. But at the end of this, I started to go in a different direction. Let me uh, okay. explain. Okay. So he's talking about how. He Well, first of all, he said he believed both of his parents had been manipulated due to their wealthy Hollywood status, and they were used as whales because they had the resources to keep them to camp for a long time. He's still talking about complaining about having been there six months. Uh, but get this. This is okay. where it turns wild. Chet Hanks. You ready for this? Despite the harshness to the experience, Chet revealed that he did find God and peace during his time there. Way you go, Chet. Yeah, like I'm. I'm curious. Um, do you still know God? Or- uh, like that. It seems like once every couple months, Chet just pops up randomly, and you don't know what it is he has said or done. 
uh, if he's doing some cultural appropriation stuff, or is he going to talk about finding God in a wilderness retreat um, to kick addiction? Yeah. Well, listen, he, he's had some good moments here in the last uh, few months. So uh, last year, Chet uploaded a YouTube video where he opened up about growing up as uh, with his famous Hollywood parents. Um, the singer admitted he was very blessed and that they called him a singer. I think he's a rapper, sort of. Uh, but he had Chet, Chet admitted he was blessed and that there's a lot of advantages, but sometimes it can be pretty weird. He said, quote, my experience was even more complicated because on top of fame already being toxic. So that's he's smart. He's aware. I wasn't even famous. He explained. I was just the son of somebody famous. So I hadn't even done anything to deserve any sort of recognition. And that created a lot of contempt. And then he talks about some hardships he'd experience, uh, giving examples of individuals who kind of tried to bring him down. He said, quote, but today I'm grateful. I've changed my life. I no longer have gone down that self-destructive road of dealing with my anger and my resentment. Hmm. He's, he's, he concluded by saying he's focusing on the bet being the best me I can be. And in September, a few months back, he updated his followers on social media about his journey in sobriety and revealed he had been sober for one year. Where you go, Chet saying the decision was final, never going back to that ever. Uh, the year is just the beginning today can be the day that changes your life forever. And so now he's trying to, you know, help others. And now I'm, I'm back on the Chet Hanks bandwagon. Good for this guy. Like the person I think about the most when Chet Hanks pops up is Colin Hanks. Like, <laughs> what do weird. you think that your your sibling makes all these headlines and you basically are a car- carbon copy of your dad mm-hmm. and have the personality of like white bread. yeah poor chet hanks doesn't look like his dad at all no he looks he got his mom's looks right he's a good looking dude i can say that i'm comfortable but you know like but he's covered in tattoos like he got all tatted up when he thought he was going to be a rapper and i don't even know i've never i don't know that i've ever listened to him so i don't know if he has any talent at all or whatever but it seems like he's got his head in the right place and if you've got your head in the right place and, and you've got faith that grounds you a little bit. I mean, he could do anything now. He could. And so there's still some pitfalls to watch out. for. Yeah. But I'm going to say this. I'm rooting for him. As we should root for all of our fellow humans. Okay. We got to talk about this now. This is amazing. This I'll understand this. You're going to have to help me out. Okay. We're going to talk about dungeons and dragons. D and D. Dungeons and Dragons will no longer use the word race in play material. You know, like elves, orcs, goblins, whatever. All mechanical mentions of race will be replaced with species, reflecting the company's desire to foster a more inviting space for all players. Um, They say, they put out a statement uh, clearly stating the thought process by removing race from its book, saying that including the word help established prejudice links between real world people and the fantasy peoples of D and D. Um, 
so I I feel that part of this backlash might be also attributed to what Lord of the Rings kind of faced because uh, within some uh, people's minds um, that the orcs were a replacement for one race, human race versus mm-hmm. another. And that uh, with the cast of Lord of the Rings prior to ring of power being like all white, um, it, it definitely kind of painted some racial tension. Um, although within D and D when you're just talking about the variety of types of species, this change feels weird and kind of just done for public relations and trying to spur up more news, I guess, because like in the eighties, you could have called it species that would have, that would have worked and you could have called it race and left it race. And it really doesn't, yeah, tie into the American racial tension that we have uh, because ah, orcs, elves, dwarves, magicians, whatever, they're all. Yeah, I just don't see what changing the, like saying um, we're going to call them a species now, how that is uh, not racist and the other one is. I, I don't understand because isn't it just speciesist? Aren't we just going to move on to that? That they're definitely, I mean, within the mindset of a lot of D&D players, they have their own preferred species, as it is now, Yeah, of Wait. who they want to be, and that the others are lesser because of this, this, or that. And so there's always going to be division when you have separate um, classifications. Yeah, Here, here's my problem. You, you want to know what my problem with this is, is we do this all the time, especially in our Western societies, right? In America, we do this thing where if there's a term for a condition you have, Cody, and I say, say it in a hateful way to you, then we determine that the term I used is the hateful part, not the part that came out of me. Right. Yeah. And then we, then we're like, well, People are using the term to bully you, and now we got to change the term. But see, here's the problem with that: is okay. So, like George Carlin did this bit back in the back in the eighties that nailed this. Our, and it was it was our use of euphemisms, and basically he put it in the context of the disabled, right? Mm-hmm. So when our grandparents were kids, they would call a disabled person a cripple, right? Mm-hmm. And like that word appears in the Bible. It's just an older word. Then at some point we decided that that wasn't kind. And somewhere along the line, we, we, we made our way to handicapped. Well, then handicapped wasn't good. People got offended by that. So you move on. You keep changing the term. That's what we do. We keep changing the terminology. What we used in the past becomes bad because people bullied each other with it. And somehow we fooled ourselves into thinking that if we change the words, then we can change the feeling. Yeah. You're not changing the heart condition that is behind the negative use of the word. Um, And that's an area that we struggle with is just 
that whole idea of we got to hold people in ourselves accountable that words only had the meaning that we assigned to them. Yes. And literally like even words that don't have um, like a real negative connotation can change their meaning. Uh, like literally when I was growing up, there was a lot of people that would use uh, like no or lame and like it, the, terminology meant something different within the context of the sentence and it depended on who you're talking to and literally we need to just be aware that being in relationship with people viewing one another as someone created in god's own image comes with the responsibility that our words reflect our hearts and so when we deliver something from a loving, caring, compassionate place, it shows. But when we have hate in our hearts, the tone of our voice changes, the context of the conversation changes, and that is what is actually harmful. It's not necessarily the word itself. I'm good with some of the changes that have happened because eh, within our current context, that word's been spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that like there are some words that did like get used in so many ways, Mm -hmm. bad ways that I'm not, I'm not opposed to moving on from words. I'm just saying, Hey, let's diagnose what the real problem is here. Because like, you know, it's like, I call it the hostess snack cake rule, right? 60 years ago, if I called someone a Twinkie, a ding dong or a ho ho, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Now, (laughs) you got some problems Uh, with any one of those, right? It's the it's the hostess snack cake rule. Mm. But but the words didn't really change. We didn't really change. We've always been kind of hateful humans. Yeah. But diagnose what the problem is. It's us. We're the problem, not the word. Yeah. Changing the word isn't going to get rid of the bitterness and the hatred. I don't know. It's, it's, I, I, I see these companies do these things and then I'm reading this article where they applaud it and I'm just like, what are you applauding? What, what is this? What did they do? They didn't do anything. Moral of the story, treat one another kindly, including James Cameron Gunn and Chet (laughs) Hanks. Chet Hanks. Give Chet Hanks all the, all the loves. All the love. Hey, all right. We uh, are going to head out to the lobby, answer some listener questions. Uh, Follow us, won't you? We'll be right back. in the lobby uh we've got snacks raisinets <laughs> which been, it's been a while it has um watching community before heading to the lobby abed eats raisinets so that, that sounds about right i am in good company i would i would you would if if you, you were in community i would peg you as abed thank you who would i be am uh, i troy no i'm not troy am i jeff Am I Jeff Winger? <laughs> I don't look as good as Jeff, but I probably have the same personality as Jeff. That's not good. 
Or am I? No, I'm not Chevy Chase. I was going to say Bin Chang. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm probably uh, what's the what's the Christian lady's name? Oh, I'm probably a male version. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, those are fun, by the way. Someone should ask us questions like that. Like, if you were a character on this show, what character would you be? You better hope and pray that we have both watched this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, um, you say Cowboy Bebop, and if you were a ke- character in Yellowstone, which one would you be? And why is it not Beth Dutton? <laughs> <laughs> no one's Beth Dutton. Although there are a bunch of women out there that'd be like, I'm Beth Dutton. No, you're not. Nobody's Beth Dutton. Nobody. No she one is a should caricature. be. She is a caricature of a person. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'd be a good lobby question. So think of shows that you'd like to hear us say which character we are on them. Yes. It's a good character study for us. Uh, first lobby question comes from David Allen in Florida. Why is Home Alone the best Christmas movie ever? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, am I supposed to um, am I supposed to disagree if I disagree, or am I supposed to argue from the standpoint, like, if I'm okay, I'm assuming that Home Alone is the best Christmas movie ever, and I'm supposed to give reasons for that? Um, it's not an assumption; it's a fact at this point. But oh, okay, um, it's not my favorite, but I'll make an argument for it. How dare you? <laughs> No, no, I'll make an argument for it being the best Christmas movie ever. So for me, I think that it nails a bunch of key categories. Okay. Um, So you have great villains. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Marv and Harry are the best. They are. In fact, I referenced them at Walmart today. The Wet Bandits. (laughs) (laughs) And you have some common themes that happen within families like sibling rivalry, mm-hmm. uh, the, the side of the family you don't like, uh, the weird aunt and uncle and creepy cousin mm-hmm. and the cousin that wets the bed. Um, <laughs> you've got a child lead. You do have a child lead. You also have the scary neighbor that actually isn't scary. He's, he's just a heartbroken old man. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a big trope. It is. Big trope. And then you have beloved goofball side characters like John Candy. Uh, and maybe the best cameo of all time. Yes. And uh, you just have these funny, quirky moments. You have iconic scenes like when he's putting on the aftershave mm-hmm. yeah yeah oh yeah so like if i'm arguing that this is the best christmas movie of all time if i'm going for this uh three things stick out in my mind big time number one macaulay culkin is maybe the most engaging child lead of all time of any movie it's between him and Haley joel osmond yeah i mean it's really really good he was good like he was amazing uh, number two, it's got real laughs. Like this is genuinely, if it's not, even if it's not the best Christmas movie, it's definitely the funniest. Um, and you got all sorts of comedic humor within it. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of have some slapstick stuff. You have some goofy oddball things. You even have dark humor when John Candy's talking about leaving his son at the funeral parlor. Yeah. It's great. I think Christmas Vacation is close. 
oh, on yeah. the comedy scale and maybe even Scrooged with Bill Murray, maybe a notch below it. But I think Home Alone is definitely the funniest. Um, and the third is th- the powers of John Hughes at his height, who wrote this movie. John Hughes just had this knack for making the characters in his movie so stinking relatable. They're so relatable. I mean, this is essentially a movie about a kid staying home alone and like setting up booby traps. Like it's not relatable because I tried to do that. It didn't never works. Yeah. No matter what violent night says, like with the kid who sets up the fatal booby traps, (laughs) a la home alone. It's not, it's not easy to set up booby traps. No. And like, just think that even the old timey film that he's watching instantly becomes quotable. Yeah. Every, every character is so relatable. You mentioned like the uncle, we all had an uncle that was super obnoxious and annoying. The mm-hmm. older sibling who's like borderline bullying the, the cousin who drinks too much and wets the bed. <laughs> like this, all of all of the characters in every John Hughes movies are just so stinking relatable. And this is like, it's, it's John Hughes at his height, man. And you get a redemption story that the family's reunited. Um, well, it's that, a Christmas movie. There's always a, re, there's always a reconciliation and redemption. And always. Even the old man has a joyful moment at the end as his son that he hasn't talked to in yeah. years brings his granddaughter and you you didn't watch my sermon on sunday did you i didn't yeah i talk about this how every christmas movie is the same every single one it has it's it's got a broken reality and then it's got a reconciliation with a reunion and a salvation the saving of christmas Mm. every single christmas movie and then this one's no different good stuff um yeah so david allen all right, I'm going to go along with your Home Alone as the best Christmas movie ever. It's my all-time fave. Uh, this question from Jason Gieseman, fellow geek of the roundtable, uh, who contributed last, last week. Because he's the rated R pastor. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I did go see Violent Night with my wife based on Jason's recommendation. It is It is wildly entertaining. Okay, well then, as I am suffering through Avatar... <laughs> I will be thinking about, can I sneak out and over to watch Violent Night? It is very much a rated R ode to Die Hard and Home Alone. That's the crossover event I needed. With Santa Claus. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jason asks this. In an alternate universe, DC hires Dave and Cody as the new studio heads. How do you reboot the DCU? Okay, so I've talked about this at length. Okay. Uh, yeah, but wait, now that, you've talked about the Shazam Black Adam angle. Now that's that, out. Now how do you do well, it? Well, so if you hadn't hired James Gunn and Peter Saffron, because that's the way okay. I'm reading it. Oh, no, 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 no. no. The way no. I'm reading it is. I have two things. Okay, so all I'll right. spout off this. Okay, okay. That you didn't need to do a full reboot. You could have my- done a soft reboot with going and building off Shazam. I'm getting my blood pressure down. Yes. So you could have done that. Okay, but there but since now we have annihilated <laughs> all DC property. Can we fully admit the Black Adam isn't worthy of a soft reboot off of it? Can we admit that? 
Black Adam's not, Shazam is, and that you use Black Adam as a crossover event down the road, but they needed to have more time. Anyway, so for me, I think that you have to nail two characters, and I don't even know if you pursue the first character that I'm thinking of uh, until like maybe phase two. Yeah. Um, so you got to nail Batman mm-hmm. and you got to nail Superman. Yeah. So you got to find those two and everything else. You can hopefully get, you don't even need A-list names. You just need like a strong B-lister. And the side characters, if if you put the pinnacle being Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, you then have to nail or go after the Green Lantern. And you can have the whole Lantern core mm. and the Flash. And then... Do whatever. I mean, Billy Craston, a.k.a. Or not Craston. Uh, what's Billy's last name? Batston. Batston. Yeah. yeah. Um, that um, Shazam is important. And especially if you're going to a Kingdom Come storyline, you need a Billy. Um, mm. But you also have to decide what story you're wanting to tell. Now, for me, I don't think you go Kingdom Come this yeah. early. No, that no, no. You really just need to establish some origins. Yeah. And, like, the thing with Snyder's v- version of everything is I think he flip-flopped the way you should do Batman and Superman. That Superman could be around for a long time. Yeah. Because he doesn't really age. Um, Batman needs to be the up and comer. It can't be, oh, Batman's been on the block for 30 years and now Superman's on the scene. Yeah, it doesn't, it does. I agree with that. Having an older Batman with a younger Clark doesn't work for me. Um, because you, you make less of Batman, Bruce Wayne's wisdom and intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. He's older. He should be more now in that scenario. But if you have, okay, so like, I guess this is a good segue into the way I would do it. Yeah. I agree with you. I think Batman and Superman are the most important characters, but in my way of thinking, maybe you don't get to them for a while. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to try for what I'm going to call a reverse MCU. Okay. Let me hit Batman first though. Okay. I'm going to, in this scenario where where it appears what they're going to do is let Reeves make another Batman, the Batman movie Mm -hmm. with Pattinson in that scenario. I'm like, fine, keep that. And we will work him in later, but you have to go with him. You can't make that movie and not make him a part of whatever you're doing and then come with a different Batman. It does. It's not good for optics, right? Well, nothing's been good with the hot So So. I would allow him to start production, pre-production for his next Batman movie and and say, we're going to put it out, but it won't be the next movie out. It won't be the one of the first few that come out. Okay. Um, Superman's down the line. I'm not even going to deal with Superman right now. 
here, here's what I do. see, he's making Superman the first one. I think yeah. that's dangerous. Um, I'm going to try a reverse MCU. So the reason it's uh, the MCU is MCU takes a side character in Iron Man and makes him the foundation, mm-hmm. right? Which I think was really smart at the time, kind of a gamble, but really smart. Yeah. Because it takes a character who doesn't have a lot of fan. Like, I think the problem that DC has is there's so many different ideas by fans of way the way they characters should be. Mm-hmm. So you take a character off to the side. So my idea is this. You start off the new DCU universe with a Green Lantern core movie. Okay. Very much a Guardians of the Galaxy. In fact, James Gunn could have done it. Mm-hmm. Like, make it a Guardians of the Galaxy space opera Green Lantern core movie with all the Green Lanterns except for Hal Jordan. Okay. And you make a big space adventure that really has no ties to Earth. And then at the very end, we're introduced to Hal Jordan. And he gets the ring. And that's where your universe starts. You on Earth with Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern. And then you slowly start making these solo movies. This is important. Solo movies. Maybe you even go make a couple movies and then come back and do Green Lantern. So the first one's Green Lantern core. Then you go Green Lantern with whoever your Hal Jordan is. But I think everything builds up from there. The reason I call it an opposite, like a a reverse MCU is Iron Man is very grounded in the MCU universe. He's not, he doesn't have superpowers. He's human. Mm -hmm. He's a normal human guy. He's just really smart and rich. Um, The reason I say it's a reverse is because we're starting with the Green Lantern core. Who's obviously very out there and powerful. And well, if you had the ring, yeah, and not grounded. They're literally in outer space. They are. Um, I like that because I do think that Green Lantern has to be one of your early characters. In yeah. mine, now I'm with James Gunn that you start off with Superman. Um, and even if Batman 2 comes out mm-hmm. and you still want to use our Pat as your bat. Like, don't have any tie-ins with everything else. Yes, absolutely. Keep him a Gotham fighter. Now, this is, but this is my thing. Like, I agree with that. Do do what the MCU did. Make solo movies, and if you're going to tie it in, it's an in-credit scene with some little Easter egg. Yeah. Don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. Um, Because literally, I... I think that when we jump to Batman versus Superman and then we have to have a Justice League movie that you don't get the capabilities of Bruce and his intelligence and the things that he's actually gone through. You just get, oh, I'm here and I'm going to punch everything to death. (laughs) But I think, yeah, whatever they do, it's got to be a young Batman. Because yeah. that makes his intelligence, his detective skills uh, with against the Superman all the more contrast. Make him a young Batman who stands, his intelligence puts him on par with Superman. Mm-hmm. So like that's the big thing is like Zack Snyder tried to make Batman by using kryptonite and whatever else power on par with Superman. Don't do that. His intelligence is what puts him on par with Superman. Superman's not the brightest bulb, right? Yeah. And the thing that I, I know that you didn't like about the Batman that I did like about the Batman is our Pat's body. Because 
you know what? Batman really does not need to be a super behemoth. No, no, I agree with that. And if it's young Batman. It wouldn't kill our Pat to throw in a couple gym sessions. Well, I mean, like, (laughs) as you go on in the movies, he can bulk up because he's learned that, oh, I need some more muscle mass to withstand some of these blows. That just comes with age where, like, you look at Michael Jordan when he first came in the NBA versus Michael Jordan in 1998. He's buffed up. Okay, I I can go for it. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, from Kyle Kessinger, what would you do if you won the 465 million mega millions jackpot? Would you still do what you do now? I guarantee I would no longer be a union construction worker. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kyle, I, I hear you. If I won it, I'd give some money to Kyle so he wouldn't have to be a union <laughs> construction, construction worker. worker. Uh, I'd invest in Kyle's whatever Kyle's business of choice. That's what I would do. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to answer this first, Cody? You're a man of the people. I'm I'm assuming our answers are going to be similar here. Um, this is where it's interesting for us, Kyle. Because before I got into ministry, I would have said, well, I'll invest the money or I'll start my own thing, whatever. Um, if I won a lot of money playing the lottery, which I don't play the lottery, that's problem number one. Um, but if I did and I won, I would give a lot of it away. And I wouldn't change what I'm doing because the ministry part of my life means I'm doing what I feel called to do and having money doesn't change that. It just enhances it. Mm -hmm. And so um, off the top of my head, if I had any sort of windfall at all, any sort of financial blessing, uh, I wouldn't change anything about what I do. It would just enhance what I do. It would be, it would enable me to give more. Uh, to the causes I want to give to. And, um, you know, with with some of that money, sure. Would would my house get fixed up, the things that need fixed? Sure. Would would uh, we trade in the minivan for something a little bigger? Maybe, yeah. But I wouldn't change what I do at all. Um, So, like, oh, yeah, I'm still being a pastor, and I would still work in mental health. But maybe my roles would shift, just because, like, if we had that much money, yeah. we're getting a table at New York Comic Con. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, so we're enhancing what we do. Yes. We're and going farther. Maybe we start YouTubing. And so, like... A collectible store, the Pop Culture Pastor collectible store. It just is enhanced. Yeah, it's enhanced, and I would need some more flexibility mm-hmm. because, like, I think some aspects of ministry would definitely be able to be more fully realized um now like my after i fix up the things that are bad in the home itself um and pay off a bunch of student loans some debt we get paid off for sure yeah um cody is becoming a season ticket holder at allen field house (laughs) courtside baby (laughs) And then I'm doing, a, I'm probably doing a lot of good work before then because yeah. there's a lot of need around the area that we live in. But I, the the selfish splurge that I'm doing is lifetime season ticket holder. Yeah. At well, having worked in the athletic department at KU in my younger days, I can tell you, 465 million, you're gonna have a lot of money left over after you get those season tickets. Like that's a that's a pretty penny for us, but not if you win that much money. That's just chump change then. 
You just make a you make a donation to some building in KU's campus. Yeah, you're gonna get those tickets. Nice. Uh, but yeah, you know, like that's that's about it. Uh, it's fun to think about what we do if it was enhanced. Like we're trying to raise some money right now for uh, Planet Comic Con in Kansas City because it's a thousand dollar booth. We don't sell anything. We don't. Uh, we got to pay for it in the, like the next ten days because it's Eek. just just the way it fell, fell out in the Christmas season. And I'm like, I don't have that. I don't have it. So we're raising money for that right now. Uh, message me if you want to know how. <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, so we're doing that currently, but it's fun to think about like, man, we could can- you imagine if this thing got big enough where we were able to go to like San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con. And Even really- Denver's con- Comic-Con would be like oh. a dream. Do you think we would raise some eyebrows if we got vendor space there for whatever it costs to get there and say, yeah, we're not selling anything? You don't think that would raise some eyebrows? Be like, yeah, we're just giving stuff away. What are you doing it here for? We just come to we just come to spread some light, have a relationship with people, smile at them, make them feel seen. God, man, that's the dream, bro. That is. Ah, I want that so badly. So, Kyle, if you win the four hundred sixty-five million <laughs> Mega Millions after you quit your union construction job, just remember us. Remember us when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we got to go in and eventually talk about the Santa Clauses. Uh, We'll go back to the main uh, studio, and we'll be back to talk about that. here to not talk about jay moore and uh, Jeannie bus getting engaged which is what we were talking about on the way back from the lobby yes uh jay moore jay moore like yeah anyways that was a that's a little bit of hollywood news slash Sports. la laker news uh all sorts of stuff there but uh whatever i like jay moore more jay moore yeah i'm here for jay moore winning yeah um okay we're here to review the Santa Clauses, the last in our Christmas special reviews. Uh, let's uh, the, the broad take here. This is uh, a return to the character of Scott Calvin slash Santa Claus, played by Tim Allen. Timothy Allen. Um, his wife. I don't have my cast list up here. Do you have the cast list? No, because <laughs> I had my notes pulled up. Uh, yeah, so did I. So, um, it's got the same, uh, wife from episode or movie two, Elizabeth Mitchell, uh, a veteran of lost. Uh, it also stars, uh, two new, two newcomers, I think as his, their kids, Elizabeth Allen, uh, Dick as Sandra Calvin Claus and Austin Kane as Cal Claus or as after they moved back to Chicago, Cal, Cal, Calvin, Cal Calvin. Buddy. Calvin Calvin. <laughs> Buddy Cal Calvin. <laughs> okay. It also stars Cal Penn, uh, who I was pleasantly surprised to see. And then there were a bunch of kids who starred as the uh, the elves because they have elves, kids playing in the elves. And the lady from Just Shoot Me. Yeah, Laura San Giacomo. Um, I'm like... Where have you been since Just Shoot Me went off the yeah. air? She played La Bufana, who was a witch. Maybe. Not a witch. Maybe. I I don't know. I don't even know what she's doing there. 
Yeah, it was random to me. Okay. Um, Yeah. So uh, basically, he uh, mistakenly feels like it's time for him to retire, for his family to go back to normal life. He picks uh, Cal Penn's character, uh, Simon Choksi, to, to replace him. It's a bad choice. Simon tries to, you know, basically enhance his business. Yeah. By using the North Pole's magic and uh-oh, the magic starts running out, elves start disappearing and they got to come back and save the day. That's the whole 6 episode arc. Ouch. <laughs> what do you mean ouch? It's not like look, this was not war and peace. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say about this other than like okay, I will say right off the bat this was the hardest one of the the Christmas things for me to watch. It just was. So I will echo it for the first two episodes. Yeah, first two episodes were the slowest. Once, uh, once we got into more of the nostalgia. So like three on, I was like hook, line, and sinker. You have nailed me. <laughs> if you were the tar, if I'm the target audience, you have hit the target way to go you know what i was wanting out of a santa claus series i definitely think yeah it's it's definitely a lower age bracket than mine um like i thought i might be too old because like santa claus one hits my wheelhouse two comes out i'm like yeah three i've only watched because like my younger sister was watching it with my family and I'm like, do I need Martin short in this? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That one was that one. By the time that one comes out, I it lost me. I liked the first Santa Claus. I enjoyed the second Santa Claus. I'm, I was young. It had Elizabeth Mitchell from lost in it, who I thought was cute. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good. Um, but the third one comes out and I'm like, nope, <laughs> I'm not into this at all. <laughs> And so, yeah, that's kind of where I was at with the Santa Clauses. But, um, yeah, I'll echo what you said, though. The first two episodes were rough for me. And then by the end of the third one, I was like, hey, let's watch the next one. You know? Yeah. I, I was ready to watch the next one after those. Especially they leave, like, on a cliffhanger on one of those where you're like, who just showed up? Whose hand is this? Yeah. <laughs> it was the Yule-verse. <laughs> Um, a, I love this, um, dynamic that they're kind of playing around with that. It kind of feels like the MCU meets Christmas meets Dr. Who. Yeah, it was wild, wasn't it? And I'm all here for it, which I mean, all those properties are technically now Disney plus properties. Yeah. Let's just go into the nice list. Uh, what did we like about it? We've already mentioned a couple things. Um, Jerry from Parks and Rec. Jerry Gergich <laughs> is in this. Oh, yes. So he is in this show. And let's, okay, let's just go there right off the top. We had a whole argument last year on this podcast and in our community about what happens to the Santa who falls off Scott Calvin's roof. Yeah. Where I said, clearly he's dead. 
You this did. dude died. <laughs> well, they heard us. I like to think pop culture pastor inspired this storyline. I Quite don't know. Possibly. I don't know that that's true. They probably have no idea who we are, but they definitively answer the question of what happened to the Santa that falls off Scott Calvin's roof. And he's totally alive. He's well, it was all, a, it was all a trick. Yep. Oh, I like I about fell out of my chair when that scene happened. I'm like leaning forward, like Leonardo DiCaprio with the the drink. Like what? Oh, oh! They're, they're, they're doing it. <laughs> that to me was the highlight of the whole show. I was like, wait, Krampus is a part of this? <laughs> it's like such an odd person to include. I'm like, wait, what's Krampus doing there for? <laughs> and then you actually had Saint Nick himself. Krampus as Santa Claus must have been like one of those times like when Punisher became Captain America for a few months. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that must have been a wild few years. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, the whole Jerry Gergich as the old uh, Santa, the the revelation that he didn't die, that it was all a trick, that That all the clauses are eternal. (laughs) Yeah. All the clauses in general were because Scott Calvin was the first human Santa. And so they set up the whole thing for him. Wild. And that lady from lost was the first Mrs. Claus. Yeah. So here for that. That was that when that part hit, that was when I was really leaning in. I'm like, okay, you've got me now. (laughs) You hooked me. How dare you? (laughs) Uh, um, I, I would, I would say the nice list. I would also say, think something I liked about it is there's something about Tim Allen who's he's just very I, I just dig the way his humor works mm-hmm. he's got kind of like a sarcasm uh that that he employs and I don't know why it just works well with me so he had several just kind of offhand remarks and one-liners that not, that made me laugh I'm just here for Tim Allen um although when they go back to Chicago and he's at at the school with his wife and kids mm-hmm. and he starts doing the ho 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 <laughs> i'm like was my childhood all building up to him being santa claus because him as tim the tool man taylor he would do that oh, oh, oh. like <laughs> 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 dude like listen if you are too young to recall or know what we're talking about with home improvement that he starred in that was what made him a big star. I, I we cannot undersell how big that show was. Oh, it was huge. That show was ginormous and Tim Allen was a huge star. Um the Pam, series Pam Anderson comes off of that show. Yeah. She's the tool time girl. The series finale was like one of the most viewed things of my childhood. Yeah. Home improvement was huge, man. And the, all the kids uh, two of the three kids get a huge boost off of that show. Uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas and uh, Zachary something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. About the last time I saw him was in that Disney movie. First kid with Sinbad. Hey, <laughs> he kind of got big, man. He went that um, Anthony Michael Hall route. Yeah. And got big. And then he wasn't adorable. It's adorable anymore. He, he's kind of scary doesn't work for yeah. everyone <laughs> uh what what else is on your nice list what um, would you like about it so i did like some of the tongue-in-cheek humor mm-hmm. that they're 
messing around with adult themes, but yet they do it with very kid-like things because the elf that's a part of the investigative police force (laughs) hidden the syrup early. (laughs) (laughs) It's, yeah, the amazing combination of like, this is like, listen, this is very much a kid show. Oh, yeah. But they had just enough jokes that were for adults that flew over the head. A couple of them, I remember raising my eyebrows like, oh, (laughs) whoa, that was a little bit risky. Um, Anything with Tim Allen and the use of his magic abilities, those jokes, I'm like, Disney, what are you doing? Yeah. I know what you're (laughs) referencing here. Um, Can I say, can I put the opening credits on the nice list? Oh yeah. A perfect perfection. Just sort of like a fever dream on on some sort of enhanced chemical agents. Like it was just so crazy. It's it was very short. Like it's not a very long opening credits, but you got the reindeer being like like turning wildly and then like him eating a piece of candy. it was so trippy and i was just here for it that was an amazing opening credit and it just works it was alice in wonderland-esque yeah um so that that's trippiness that would be on my nice list anything else noel noel the elf oh yeah 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 hilarious yeah he was great Um, um literally um Constantly referring to Santa as his best friend, <laughs> ignoring his wife. <laughs> Noel played by Devin Bright. My kids did think the interaction, uh, the adult-like relationship interaction between him and Betty, played by Matilda Lawler, was creepy. <laughs> My kids thought it was creepy because they're kids. I also kind of thought it was creepy. <laughs> it was uh, weird. Although, like, I I appreciate that they didn't do the full on like we have to have them kiss and do all this awkward stuff that you really shouldn't force kids to do but we have done throughout like TV and movie history. Yeah, I was appreciative of that too. That would have that would have been over the line. I would have said this was the worst Christmas thing I've ever seen if they had. Uh, this by the way there's spoilers in all this. Oh yeah, we uh, didn't. You should give know a that. Spoiler but David Crumholtz reappearing as Bernard the Elf, who's married a human. <laughs> that was great. They had to do something to explain his weight gain and aging. Yeah, <laughs> which was it was beautiful. And who it, did it he, worked? Who did he marry? Uh, oh, he married um uh, Vanessa Redgrave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Oscar winner. <laughs> That was a funny little <laughs> gag as well. Oh, man. So, yeah, that was great. His appearance in the show was funny. I remember I laughed really hard at um, the Vanessa Redgrave. You do get um, Charlie coming back. Yeah, Charlie was – his gag was funny too. Where like, okay, so Charlie's the most annoying part of the first couple movies. Oh, yeah. Because he's so like, I'm going to take over the family business. So it's hilarious when he goes to Charlie first to take over as Santa. And he's like, uh, <laughs> no, man. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, it's a terrible place to raise kids. <laughs> and I've got a job. <laughs> and I haven't told my wife what you do. That was maybe one of the best lines of the whole yeah. thing he gets delivered because Tim Allen's uh, Santa Claus's reaction to him not telling 
him not telling his wife was why not? And he's like, well, it's not the easiest thing to say to that. My dad is Santa Claus. That's not the most sane thing. <laughs> I did like that. He also called out, uh, that, uh, Tim Allen's other two kids are weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that yeah, that that maybe the North Pole's not the best place to raise children. They are the first human children raised there. Shocking, as I we know. find out. Um, okay, anything else on the nice list? Um so in a future portion of questions, I'll go deeper into it, but I did appreciate the theological and church history themes going on within the show. And oh, there yeah. were quite a few. Yeah. Let's hold on to that. Yeah. Let's hold on. To that. I'm holding in I, all this. I am appreciative when the Christmas entertainment stays true to the spirit of Christmas. Maybe they don't go the full reason of the season, but the definitely the spirit parts there. So I did appreciate that naughty list. What didn't you like? Um, I didn't need the remake of Wham's Christmas song. <laughs> That was weird. I'm like, this doesn't really work out, especially with him leaving. Um, Like, it feels like you hate him now instead of that you love him and you're going to miss him. But it did produce one of the funnier moments uh, early on in the show because they misspell Santa. (laughs) The N's out of place and it spells Satan. (laughs) And so... I laughed. That at was so that. stinking funny. Yeah. Reminded me of the church later lady skit from Saturday Night Live many years ago. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that was that was uh that was good. But the musical number was weird. It was out of place. Um I full disclosure, I love Cal Penn. I I am a lover of Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. So um, I loved him in that. I loved him in house. He did a good job in house until Barry O stole him. He's brutal in this so brutal in this and it's almost like he's mailing it in like it's he's just drawing a paycheck i or he's he he just can't play that guy he can't play because he's always been most of his characters are kind of sensitive that he's played like the guy in house sensitive nice guy he plays nice guys well this guy i just never really bought it um so there's one other role I can think of where he kind of plays this guy, and that would be him in New Girl, because uh, he's <laughs> Allie's boyfriend mm-hmm. uh, before Allie dumps him and ends up with Winston. But um, I I don't know if this is his range or if he can relate to this character, because yeah. his real life is a lot different than his character's real life. Yeah, not a fan. Not a fan of him in this. Uh, didn't like it. What? What? Do you have anything? Um, else? I don't have a lot to complain about. Of the elf kids were weird. Yeah. So like, I mean, child actors. Right. You, when it, you have to use this many and this many get speaking roles. Oh yeah. It made me wonder at times how deep are the child acting ranks in Hollywood? Like quality. Because listen, the, 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 their kids, the older ones, the teen kids of, uh, Santa Claus are good. Um, Betty and Noel, like those two child actors I thought were great. 
Then as you go down farther, the ones there that had speaking parts, even the one that, even though he was funny, the one with the patch, yeah, the eye patch, ah, <laughs> uh, man, I don't know. And I, I don't want to bag on child actors, but <laughs> it's it not a good like place to be. We were stretched a little thin on the acting ability, I think. He had his moments, but then there's moments I'm like, if you played this slightly different, this line delivers beautifully. Yeah. But it just misses the mark. Okay. In that, building off that, did you feel like this was rushed? Like, some of those scenes could have used some more film, some more tries, I think. Yeah. And it just seemed like maybe they would just rush to get this out. I don't know. I don't know. It didn't, it seemed like there were some scenes that fell flat for me because they could have gotten a better take. Yeah. Maybe that was just me. Maybe they had shot a thousand scenes and that was as good as it was going to get. <laughs> That's then again, we're back to the child acting again. <laughs> uh, anything else on the naughty list? Um, the only random thing that I would throw on there, and it was done by the son, um, Buddy Cal, um, is that um, he he pronounced Topeka. 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 I think that was intentional. Yeah. Well, it was, but I mean, I don't like the pronunciation. I get that he <laughs> is not familiar with Earth, like okay. the rest of so you society. Didn't like that. You, you, uh, it, it hurt your Kansas a little bit. It did, but I chuckled out loud at yeah, it. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. I I, I thought that was funny. Um, all right, Christ and Christmas Award. Did the movie make any references to the real Christmas? Um, holy cow, this movie made so many references to like church history. Um, yeah, the scene with all the Santas alone, the scene with the Santas alone, but like even in the first, it was either the first episode or the second episode there, uh, he, Tim Allen's talking about having maybe a couple Santa Clauses and they're like, who do you think we are? The Vatican <laughs> with two popes? No, thank you. And that was the thing it, that there was two popes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm here for this church-related humor. and um, but, Deep humor, too. Yeah. Like, most people probably didn't get that. So religion major Cody was geeking out at times <laughs> during this. Um I will say, because um, they bring up uh, the the witch. What was it during the witch scene? Uh, yeah, it was during the witch scene. Uh, they were talking about the feast of Epiphany, mm-hmm. which yep. is um, twelve days after Christmas. Mm-hmm. That um, like we're having uh, reference to other. Christian holidays tie-ins, um, which Epiphany is us. Um, well, it's Christ waiting for the Magi to get there, but that's neither here nor there. Um, one line that really stood out that I think ties back to definitely Christ's teachings, not necessarily the reason for the season, but a, 
uh, a teaching of Jesus. Um, they were talking about believing is seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and Jesus tells Thomas, uh, "Blessed are those who believe that haven't seen." Yeah. Because Thomas was like, I need to see this to believe it. And Jesus is like, well, blessed are those who believe who haven't seen. And in this story, they're saying, if you believe, then you are actually seeing it how it is. Yeah. And so that ties in beautifully. Um, so um, I also thought that with the Santa Clauses and Tim Allen being the first human, um, Santa Claus, that it kind of ties in well with the early church, um, that um, you're trusting the the sacred or trusting the magic with humans. Mm-hmm. That early church leadership, after Jesus is ascended, oh my goodness, you're putting like, the weight of the whole faith on Peter and a bunch of random guys. You have to go back. Like once they, once you make this revelation, like you go back and it's like, wait a minute, is Scott Calvin an allegory for Paul? Yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> like, and um, I really appreciated um, some of the themes that tied in not only with faith, but with mental health, that the trauma and uh, loss during this time of year is really hard mm-hmm. um, on people. Uh, like, I know that uh, kids have lost parents, Yeah, that holidays are really, really tough. And uh, for Cal Penn's character, he lost his wife during our... Yeah. Uh, and that... Uh, Christmas was her favorite holiday and she's not there. Yeah. I appreciated that. I appreciated that development of his character. And so, and there, again, like you said in your sermon that there is redemption and reconciliation that happens, Mm -hmm. uh, even through bitterness, greed, and, uh, all the, the loss. Um, and then there was, um, the, the whole thing about belief mm-hmm. with the, the elves. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And there was a line in there uh, about. Uh, Are the elves angels? Maybe. But like <laughs> belief uh, will bring back the elves. Right. And well, Jesus talks about your belief can move mountains. Yeah. And so. Um, that is, um, that that was good, and yeah. so th- there's a lot of theological things that happen. Not a lot of hey, Jesus is born. No, no. But you're not going to get anything secular now. You're just not going to get that because people are going to people like film companies, movie companies. They're going to try and play it safe. They're not. They're not going to go there. Although all the references to the actual person of St. Nicholas mm-hmm. blew yeah. my mind. Yeah. That was great stuff. The Macaulay Culkin award, who gets the biggest boost to their career because this exists. I'm curious to see who you say here. It's Devin bright, Devin bright. 
Oh, you're going to go with Noel. I'm going Noel. I'm going child actor. Okay. He gets the biggest boost to his career. Otherwise, it was going to be Jerry. Jerry Kukic. <laughs> <laughs> whose name we're not even using. His real name yeah. we're not even going to use. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Austin Kane, okay. who played Cal. Calvin Calvin. <laughs> Calvin I, Claus. I do think that... Like as the series go- series goes on, his character gets flushed out more, and you get to see him act a lot more. The first couple episodes, I'm like, if he's just playing a babbling idiot, I don't yeah. need that. Those two characters, his kids, that act could have gotten old real quick, and instead, I think he makes that character endearing just by the way he acts it. Uh, and I'd be interested to know if he gets directed in that way or if he did that on his own. Either way, it's impressive for an actor to take basically a character who's kind of a bumbling idiot and make him endearing. That says to me that Austin Kane has some talent. And uh, I just I wonder if in 20 years we'll be sitting here talking about, hey, you remember when Austin Kane before he won Oscars was in the Santa Clauses? Oscars because <laughs> I I think he's got some talent and I was impressed that he of what he did with basically the bumbling idiot role yeah and yeah it was it was good uh, so I'm gonna go with that the Rankin Bass Lifetime Achievement Award will this ever be a Christmas classic Cody um I mean if you were a fan of the Santa Claus movie franchise. I think that this definitely gets played before three. Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you this. I th- I'm going to compare this to the Christmas story one where they definitely knew their audience and they, they definitely made something like, Hey, if you like the first one, you're probably going to enjoy this. Yeah. They're not reinventing the wheel. If they're just giving people what they would want to see out of it. That doesn't appeal to everybody but you make sure you make the people who've liked your original content happy. And so like, yeah, I don't think it's a new Christmas classic, but I put it just a a slight notch above the Christmas story. Although they did definitely set it up for there to be another season seasons. Yeah. What was that? There was a line at the end. Well, first off, like when, uh, your lifetime, or your uh, Macaulay Culkin award winner goes into his girlfriend's house, you d- it becomes clear he probably did not sprinkle the memory dust on her. Mm-hmm. So she's going to remember it, which creates some issues somehow. There was some specific line that was said in near the end of that last episode that I wish I'd have wrote down, but it seemed to like be an obvious setup for something, some some sort of uh, plot dangler for an, another season. And Slash, I can't remember what it was. Now. Thinking back to the scene of him going to his girlfriend's house, I'm calling shenanigans on the girlfriend. Poinsettias are her favorite flower. Said no one. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Um and then I also forgot Gary, the one-eyed elf. Uh, him and Santa Claus did have a funny exchange in the last episode 
where Santa's like, there's no I in team. And he's like, there's no you in tomorrow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he I, says something else, but that got dark quick. Yeah. I about died laughing at that scene. <laughs> so I would have been remiss if I had not brought that up. Yeah. How many out of 10 wise men are you giving it, Cody? Um, seven. Yeah. Seven. We've been pretty consistently similar on these because I think I gave Christmas Story Christmas six. Yeah. I'm going to give it a notch better. I think it's this, it goes a little bit harder on the, it, I think it has funnier moments. I'm going to give it a six and a half. Um, I mean, a series is different than a movie. And so you yeah. get more time to work with things because if that Christmas Story would have been three hours, it would have been miserable. Yes. I, I, you've already tainted Ralphie enough for me. I couldn't take anymore. And like, if I had to watch all three hours of this in one sitting, I might not have been as happy about it, but I broke it up over two days. Yep. And mine was broken up over three or four days. So it, it definitely helped. And my kids enjoyed it. They watched it along with me. So, Hey, how did you guys like the Santa Clauses? Are you fan? Are you, are you game for season two? Are you up for it? That's, that's what we want to know. What did you guys think? Who do you guys think gets the biggest boost off of this? Uh, and, um, would you watch a season two? Tell us, uh, what you think on the social media, uh, posts that we make for the episode as always, please subscribe and rate and review us. That does us uh, a world of good when it comes to attracting more people to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.